Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. I tell you guys all the time, always bet on red. And I hope you cashed on all of your Kansas City bets this season. All of the odds, props, promos, and parlays are available at Bet Online Sportsbook. You can use our promo code BLEAV50, that's B-L-E-A-V-5-0, to get a 50% welcome bonus with the link in the description to this episode. Bet Online, where the game starts. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, or good night, however and whenever it is you may be listening, thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of The Take. It Easy Podcast Live on the Believe Podcast Network, except it isn't live because it is, as always, a podcast. Welcome, 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 everybody. It is a fantabulous February 14th, according to my count. It may not be that according to your count. But we appreciate you stopping in however and whenever it is that you may be listening. It is the 1,153rd episode of the Take It Easy podcast in history. Every Monday through Friday for the past three years, we do it like a workout, man. Some people go to the gym for 45 minutes. I get my microphone, turn on the turn on the audacity and record a podcast and it's the reason why I'm 170 pounds and scrawny I've got a fun podcast so welcome 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 everybody I hope y'all are having a fantabulous day having a fantabulous new year it's new year baby the sports calendar resets at the end of the Super Bowl every year the Monday after the Super Bowl is reminiscing on the year that was and so it's the new year It's 2023 officially on the sports calendar. The next big event is March Madness. NBA playoffs come up next. NHL playoffs for those who happen to be so inclined. It's the start of 2023 on the sports calendar. And as always, the Tuesday after the Super Bowl is, uh, this is now our third annual version of this, the third annual Take It Easy What the hell happened in sports while we were caring about football week? So we're going to recap everything going on in college basketball. I'm hoping to do two college basketball podcasts this week. We're going to do a conversation about the future of NFL contracts, particularly Lamar Jackson. And here on today's show, we are going to work through our annual recapping what happened in the NBA while we were all watching football episode, which to be honest, this year doesn't quite feel the same as previous years because I've actually cared a lot about the NBA this year. Kevin Durant got traded last week, so we spent all of last week talking about what was going on in the NBA. It doesn't feel the same for me because I didn't bury my head in the sand like an ostrich and go full football mode for all of January and then tune into basketball in February like I did last year and like I kind of did in the 2021 pandemic year, but the NBA didn't start until December 25th that year because that was coming out of the bubble. So this year I've actually cared a lot about the NBA. It's been super fun and we're going to touch on a couple of those storylines. And before we do that, it is the sports new year. So I kind of want to bridge the gap between moving forward into college basketball, into the NBA season, hockey if you feel so inclined, moving into 2023 and remembering where we were in 2022. And the way I'm going to bridge that gap is by doing one of our classic eulogy podcasts. Because I don't feel like I did the Philadelphia Eagles enough justice on our Super Bowl Monday podcast. I think Kansas City winning was probably the storyline, and that was the thing that I felt so inclined to talk about. There's some really interesting points going forward with Philadelphia, and 
in the game itself, there were so many interesting plot lines from Philadelphia. You heard me say it on both our previews and post games of the Super Bowl. I understood why Philadelphia was the favorite in that game. They had a superior rushing offense. In fact, the best rushing offense any of us have seen in years in the NFL. This despite the fact that offense as a whole was down to its second lowest levels in the entire league in 20 seasons because everyone was dropping back two high safeties, adjusting to the offensive schemes of Buffalo and Kansas City where that playoff game ends with nobody being able to play defense against either of those teams and opening up the opportunity for more short and intermediate throws and run plays and everyone just running less plays of offense this season in the NFL as a whole. The Eagles took advantage of that in spectacular fashion where their scoring offense was at levels of peak 2018 Rams or Saints or Kansas City when offense was at its highest levels in 20 years and defenses were yet to adjust to those offensive explosions. The Eagles had that level of scoring offense and they did it primarily with rushing. The Eagles had the best rushing offense, the best offensive line in the NFL, better than a very good offensive line for Kansas City, if not a great one. Philadelphia, best offensive line in the NFL, best pass rush in the NFL, superior to Kansas City's, potentially as good, if not better, linebackers than Kansas City, and a superior secondary to Kansas City. All of those were competitive advantages for Philadelphia, and they scored 35 points. Jalen Hurts rushing got into the end zone four times, three touchdowns, and a two-point conversion. They showed it on the broadcast, and I couldn't believe this. The previous Super Bowl record four touchdowns rushing was Terrell Davis in 1999, regarded as the greatest season in NFL history where he went for 2,000 yards and had three touchdowns in a Super Bowl. And it's the singular season that got him into the Hall of Fame. Jalen Hurts put up that level as a quarterback rushing the football. And the reason Philadelphia loses is because the great competitive advantage for Kansas City is the ability to do whatever they want on offense whenever they want to do it. And you heard me talk about it yesterday. Kansas City scored 38 points. They could have scored 42. They could have scored 45. They could have scored 49. 38 was all they needed to win that game. And at that point, it was better to control time of possession than it was to put up 42, 45, or 49 points. And Kansas City won by holding the ball until the last two plays of the game. And so from the Philadelphia standpoint coming out of that game, it seems like we've been here before because this season, this championship run for Philadelphia so closely mirrors the 2017 championship run for Philadelphia. In that game, Philadelphia beat New England, despite the fact New England scored 33 points. The record for most points scored by a losing Super Bowl team until Philadelphia yesterday. And look, regardless of results in the Super Bowl from Super Bowl 52 or 57 with the Eagles, going 1-1 one and one is the most probable outcome when you're talking about that team for Philadelphia going up against those opponents, the overwhelming number one offense of the Patriots that year, or uh, I believe they had the number one offense that year because that was the year Tom Brady won MVP over Todd Gurley. Number one offense in the Patriots, Kansas City had the number one offense, both teams scored 33 and I believe it was 41 for the Eagles in that game. Eagles scored 41. This year, Kansas City scored 38. Eagles scored 35. Like the This year's Eagles team feels so similar to that Eagles team, which was we saw multiple quarterbacks behind an offensive line with three Hall of Famers. I don't know if Jordan Mailata is going to make the Hall of Fame, but he's putting up incredible Pro Bowl-level numbers every year for the first five years of his career. Jordan Mailata and Lane Johnson and Travis Kelsey were both locks to make the Hall of Fame. Lane Johnson and Travis Kelsey were both on the Super Bowl team in 2017. Jordan Mailata replaces Jason Peters. With that offensive line, Nick Foles was able to throw for 430 yards and win a Super Bowl for Philadelphia. 
Behind that offensive line, the Eagles were able to put up 35 points in the Super Bowl. Jalen Hurts had three rushing touchdowns. They converted eight of nine third downs, and the only one they didn't convert, they converted on fourth down anyways. Philadelphia was incredible in that football game. And at the end of the day, unless I'm misremembering Super Bowl 52, the the script of those two games felt very similar And the Eagles won because they strip-sacked Tom Brady in 2017. And they lost this game because they committed a holding penalty on Juju Smith-Schuster. And if you want to just bring it down to those key plays in the game and say that's where the game turns on a dime, I think you can do that. And ultimately, Philadelphia reconstructed that roster with just like younger versions of exactly the 2017 team. Like, you look at what Hassan Reddick does, and it's pretty hard to not argue that him and Chris Long were not putting up similar levels of production, even if Hassan Reddick had 18 and a half sacks in the regular season. Let's just look at playoff numbers specifically in the game that Reddick had against San Francisco and the lack of production that he had against the Kansas City Super Bowl game. And then you have... Dallas Goddard looking pretty much like Zach Ertz when Zach Ertz is diving into the end zone to give them a lead in the Super Bowl. And you've got, uh, the, the, on the flip side, Dallas Goddard on that third and 14 converting a long play. If you want to talk about the running back room, it was a flip between LeGarrette Blunt and Corey Clement. And then you look at this year, and Kenneth Gainwell had a touchdown that got called back because he went down at the one-yard line. You had Boston Scott making catches out of the backfield for a dozen yards. And you had Miles Sanders they they interchanged the running backs. They just got a bunch of new running backs. They got a new giant tight end built like Zach Ertz. And they got a quarterback that put up the same level of offensive production in a Super Bowl as Nick Foles. The only difference was he was doing it with his legs and his arm as compared to Foles, who was only doing it with his arm. In that Super Bowl, Nick Foles went 28 of 43 passing. For 373 yards, three touchdowns, one interception, he caught the touchdowns, we'll call it four total touchdowns for Foles. He had four total touchdowns, one turnover, 373 passing yards, 106 passer rating. Jalen Hurts, in this Super Bowl, finished... 27 of 38, a better completion percentage than Nick Foles, finished with 304 passing yards combined with 70 rushing yards. You know what that number is? 374. You know how many yards of offense Nick Foles had? 373. That's a one-yard difference in favor of Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts finished the game with four touchdowns, just like Nick Foles, one turnover. Foles was the interception. Nick Jalen Hurts was the kick six, as I like to call it, where he just dropped the ball, kicked it, and Nick Bolton ran it for a touchdown. And Jalen Hurts finished with a 103.4 passer rating compared to the 106 for Nick Foles. And that doesn't factor in Jalen Hurts' rushing. Besides the point, Jalen Hurts put together a Super Bowl performance basically identical to Nick Foles. Ertz and Goddard, interchangeable running backs from Clement to LeGarrette Blunt, now with Miles Sanders, Dallas Goddard, Kenneth Gainwell. Just interchange the running backs and go. In the receiving group, Philadelphia had two 100-yard receivers in that game. In the Super Bowl a few years ago with Nick Foles, Two receivers with 184 receiving yards. In that case, it was Corey Clement and uh, Nelson Aguilar, which is a far cry from the star receivers of the Eagles. But if you take the pure statistics in the Super Bowl of A.J. Brown and of Devonta Smith, you're looking at a stat line of, compared to the 184 in the Super Bowl uh, 52, in Super Bowl 57, you're looking at, between the two receivers, a stat line of 196 yards. 100 yards for Devonta Smith, 96 yards for A.J. Brown on 13 catches. In the Nick Foles Super Bowl, it was 13 catches 
for 184 yards between the two leading receivers. Granted, they were very different in skill set between Devonta Smith and A.J. Brown, which do not include the tight end of Dallas Goddard and Zach Ertz. It's basically the same team, man. I feel like we're in exactly the same position at the end of this Super Bowl that we were with the Eagles in 2017. Because the way they did it was like, what if we just get the same players but younger and slide them into the same positions as the people who put us in positions to succeed five years ago? And because the foundational pieces were still the same, Fletcher Cox, Brandon Graham, Lane Johnson, Jason Kelsey, they lose Jason Peters, but you slide in Jordan Mailata, who puts up better, if equal, if not better production. Take away Carson Wentz, slide in Jalen Hurts. Because the fundamental pieces were still in place, they were able to change the stuff around the periphery, get younger versions of the same players that won the Super Bowl five years ago, and just keep the machine rolling. And the Eagles rolled the same way they rolled in 2017. I know they did the whole underdog thing in 2017. Philadelphia won that NFC Championship by 34 points in 2017. They won the NFC Championship this year by 24 when garbage time kicked in. I think San Francisco scored in garbage time at the end. But it was 31-7 when the game actually stopped mattering. Philadelphia whooped up on the competition that year on their way to the number one seed in the Super Bowl. And when we got there, the statistics were exactly the same. And so it feels like we're in exactly the same position for Philadelphia that we were in back in 2017. They just don't have a championship to show for it. And what that's going to mean is they've just got a handful of personnel decisions to make in the coming years. Because Jalen Hurts is going to get that big contract. I understand why Jalen Hurts is going to get that big contract. You can't just keep guessing on quarterbacks year after year after year because eventually you're going to get burnt the way the Jets got burnt with Zach Wilson. Like Jalen Hurts being the player he is took some time to get to. Carson Wentz was supposed to be that dude and it ended up being Nick Foles behind the strength of the offensive line and it ended up being Jalen Hurts behind the strength of the offensive line combined with receivers that were respectable because remember they went through the muck with the receivers it was in Jalen Hurts' rookie year it was Greg Ward as their number one receiver Like, they went through the muck of having the worst receiving core in the NFL, and even last year when they made that playoff run, they didn't have good receivers other than Devonta Smith, because Dallas Goddard was battling injury most of the year. So, like, Philadelphia comes out of that, like, they had to go through some muck to get back to this place. And I don't think they're going to have to go through the muck again, because I don't think Jalen Hurts is Carson Wentz. And I think if they extend Jalen Hurts, you're going to get a level of production comparable to, at the very least, Dak Prescott. Obviously, they do different things. It's just the best comp I can find in the third-tier group of quarterbacks at this point. And Jalen Hurts might be better than that. We just don't have a representative sample size. In terms of Jalen Hurts' development, we've made this comparison a couple times this year. Jalen Hurts is 2020 Josh Allen right now. He has made this gigantic leap with the beneficiary of a talented roster around him that gives him puts him in a position to to succeed and play at his best. We've seen it now for 16 games, about 4 of which were played with a separated shoulder, and we just need a larger sample size to know exactly what Jalen Hurts is going to be. That's the fourth and fifth year. Now the Eagles probably feel confident enough that even if they don't see the progression from Jalen Hurts, or if they see a regression from Jalen Hurts, they still want to bet on him for the next seven years. Even if you remove a handful of the pieces that helped make him great, they want to bet on that foundational piece, even if it's costing $50 million a year. I don't fault them for making that decision. They're in a difficult spot when it comes to we don't have a representative sample size and the representative sample size we do have is guy who just finished second for the MVP deservedly and put up a better performance than Nick Foles in a losing Super Bowl effort. I understand why they're going to recommit to Jalen Hurts. I would have no qualms recommitting to Jalen Hurts other than I just don't believe any quarterback is the quarterback we see after a 14-game sample size. 
It's just not the way that, especially a quarterback that had so many questions coming into this season, a quarterback that we've seen not play well under at least not terrible circumstances. Granted, I thought the Eagles were tanking at the start of last year. I was incorrect. Those circumstances were a little bit better than we were leading on to believe. So like for someone who we've seen pauses making Jalen Hurts the the $50 million quarterback that's going to take away pieces the same way Kansas City just had to remove Tariq Hill and had to remove Daniel Sorensen and remove Terran Matthew and remove Charvarius Ward. The same way you remove those foundational pieces, eventually they'll get to the place where they remove those, but they can worry about that two years from now. So if we're trying to figure out what the future of Philadelphia is looking like, think of it as a combination of where Philadelphia was at the end of 2017 when they won the Super Bowl and they were between Carson Wentz and Nick Foles. They had all the foundational pieces in place. Think of them as a bridge between that and the Buffalo Bills after they lost to Kansas City in 2020. And the reason that's the case is because on a quarterback timeline, they got two year or they've got one more year of cheap Jalen Hurts. One more year of cheap Jalen Hurts before you go into he's going to make $50 million a year. And potentially they could also franchise tag him one year. I know they don't want to do that as an organization. You can structure the deal so that the cap hit is low on the first year if you feel like that gives you a better chance to be competitive. So they've got one to two years of a relatively cheap Jalen Hurts. And that's your window. It was Buffalo's window the past two years. It ended with the crazy greatest game we've ever seen against Kansas City last year, in which if they win that game, I feel pretty confident Buffalo wins the Super Bowl. And this year where Buffalo lost in the second round of the playoffs, despite the fact they had by far the most talented roster in the NFL, a lot of it got hurt, but point being they had the most talented roster in the NFL to start the season. That's what Philadelphia is looking at right now. And it's the same way that Philadelphia was looking at that in 2018, and in 2019. And if you'll remember what Philadelphia did after 2017 winning the Super Bowl, in 2018, that was the year that Carson Wentz got hurt, Nick Foles took over, they won the last three games of the season, made the playoffs, won the double doink game against Chicago, and then in the divisional round against the Saints, Lane Johnson and Travis Kelsey, or Jason Kelsey got hurt, and Nick Foles played like absolute shit. They were up 14-0 in that game against the Saints. And they lost on the Alshon Jeffrey fumble at the end of the game. Like they got blown out the building after that Super Bowl in 2017. Once you took away the foundational pieces that helped make Nick Foles Nick Foles. Who finished I think like 10-1 and as a starting quarterback for the Eagles. And then never got to start again other than a half a game in Jacksonville. If you think about... The next season, they made the wild card against Seattle, who was playing like, I believe Seattle was playing Marshawn Lynch in that game, and Philadelphia lost because Carson Wentz got concussed, and I believe Josh McCown was playing quarterback for them. They lost to Seattle, and then Seattle lost to San Francisco the next week. No, it wasn't San Francisco. They lost to Green Bay the next week. They got smoked out the building by Green Bay. And then Green Bay got smoked out the building by San Francisco in 2019. So the Eagles at that point were second round exit, wild card exit after making that run. The Buffalo Bills were, at the end of the day, second round exit, second round exit. And I know that first second round exit came with some circumstances like Kansas City going 13 seconds down the field to kick a game tying field goal and then never getting to see the ball in overtime. Like, granted, Buffalo was winning with 13 seconds left by three points, kicking off to Kansas City. Josh Allen never got to see the field again. So, granted, with some circumstances, Buffalo lost in the second round, Kansas City lost in the second round. Those are the teams you should look at and say this is the most probable path that Philadelphia is going to follow over the next few years. Doesn't mean Philadelphia can't get back to the Super Bowl. Doesn't mean they can't get back to the conference championship. Again, Buffalo was 13 seconds away from winning a Super Bowl the year after losing to Kansas City when Josh Allen made that giant leap in 2020, the same way Jalen Hurts just made a giant leap. Philadelphia was maybe a Lane Johnson and Travis Kelsey, Jason Kelsey injury away 
from beating the Saints, who were the number one seed that year, and it was the best of the four Saints teams. They were maybe those two injuries away from beating the Saints in the divisional playoff and advancing to play the Rams in the NFC Championship game. The Eagles are going to come back with one of the three most talented rosters in the NFC, right there with San Francisco and potentially Dallas and potentially another team that totally overhauls their roster the same way that Philadelphia did this last year. They're going to be right there in that top three. There's a difference between clear number one and top three. And while I didn't think Philadelphia was the clear number one all season, it's clear at the end of the day that they belonged in that Super Bowl and they were clearly a top three team in the NFL all season which the statistics bared out. I just thought they would be worse than San Francisco. Maybe if San Francisco had been fully healthy, it would have changed. Philadelphia is also just one injury away from the tower falling apart. Despite the fact that they have talent at so many different positions, they, as we saw, they are one Jalen Hurts injury from it all falling apart. They are one Jason Kelsey injury from it all falling apart. They might be one Hassan Reddick injury away from falling apart. On defense, it's really difficult to pay, to pair that out. I mean, Buffalo lost Von Miller and a, a handful of smaller pieces, and the whole thing fell apart once they got to play a really talented team like Cincinnati. It was an amazing disappointment for Buffalo. Injuries ended up being that disappointment. Philadelphia might get that same not great luck coming up next year, and they've got a one to two year window to really maximize on what the current core of the team is because after that. They have to do something that every team kind of dreads, which is building around a $50 million quarterback. And I know you can point to like, oh, Howie Roseman is a really great GM and they have a top 10 pick in this year's draft and they've got all this financial flexibility going forward. Other than the top draft pick, they had all of the same things in 2017 and that shit fell apart. They had the same circumstances, and as soon as Carson Wentz got the giant contract, that shit fell apart in Philadelphia. And I'm not going to say history repeats itself, because I genuinely have no idea. Saying that it's not going to happen to Philadelphia is a fool's errand, because it literally just happened to them three years ago. As soon as the quarterback got the big contract, the whole machine fell apart because they couldn't pivot. And part of that was Carson Wentz's shortcomings, and part of that was the poor roster construction and decisions like drafting Jalen Rager over Justin Jefferson. So for Philadelphia, it's going to be really, really interesting to see where they go from this point moving into next season. Because like I said, it's one to two years of this current core of the team. And if they've already committed to paying Jalen Hurts $50 million, which I totally understand if you have, if they've already committed to that point, they might have to start making some decisions that are less all-in than would have been this year and would have been going into next year if they decide to not extend Jalen Hurts. It'll be really interesting to see what they do with all of this flexibility and what they'll do with that additional draft pick that they keep punting down the road from the, I believe that pick was from the tanked game by Doug Peterson where they just keep kicking that draft pick down the road and preserving it for years later. One to two years. Look at what the Buffalo Bills were two years ago. Look where the Buffalo Bills are now. That's the most probable explanation you're going to find for what the next few years in Philadelphia are going to be, which is because you have Jalen Hurts and because you have that offensive line, you're going to be a top three team in the NFC every single year, injuries permitting, you are a top three team in the NFC every single year. And there's a difference between top three and clear number one. And if you want to know what that difference is, go ask the Buffalo Bills about the Kansas City Chiefs. You throw a fourth TD on a dime. You ain't got no fear of any Colts or Dolphins. Josh Allen gets Bills the wins. You want 
to play the Chiefs and to beat Andy Reid and his schemes avenging your past mistakes and take the Bills to the big game. Three years, I thought you was phony. Got digs, then you flipped it on me. I was thinking you were Carson Wentz. You made your mark, became an MVP. Deep throws, always looking daunting. Tossed up to Davis and McKenzie. It's hard for teams to deny it. When Allen beats double safeties. You keep losing to Mahomes. Sitting on the bench, 13 to go. Overtime coin flips turned up wrong. Makes your season seem so marginal. And this year you'll find a way. Gonna get past Kansas City. Allen and the Bills are gonna be. Super Bowl champs 2023. Oh, I wanna run the ball, don't wanna slide, I just wanna dive. Send me the call, and I'll throw the ball. I wanna run the ball, don't wanna slide, I'm just gonna dive. Send me the call, and I'll throw the ball. You throw a fourth TD. On a dime, you ain't got no fear of any Colts or Dolphins. Josh Allen gets Bills the wins. You want to play the Chiefs and to beat Andy Reid and his schemes avenging your past mistakes and take the Bills to the big game. All right, to conclude our football season, I felt like the Buffalo Bills Lil Nas X parody song that we did was the best way to conclude it because I think it was the best piece of creative content that we made all season. And we're kind of talking about how the Buffalo Bills and the Philadelphia Eagles have very similar paths over the next, well, really Buffalo's last two years and the Eagles' next two years have very similar paths. Let's talk about basketball. This is the day that we usually do our annual what happened in the NBA while we were gone. The thing is, I've been talking a lot about the NBA this year because the NBA is just so goddamn fascinating. It's so fascinating that the 10 best players in the league all play for different teams, and all of those teams don't really have a clear competitive advantage over each other. It's super interesting that I get paid to cover the Sacramento Kings, and the Sacramento Kings in my first season working kind of for the team. I mean, the team indirectly signs my paychecks. I'm like two tiers removed from the Kings signing my paychecks. But the Sacramento Kings are going to break a 16-year playoff drought, and they're going to do it with ease. They're going to do it with ease, and that's kind of wild to think about. That's happening at the same time. They don't even have one of the 10 best players in the NBA. They have probably the best one-two tandem in the league of hey, we've got the 15th best player and the 25th best player in the league, and with those two together, we can be the third seed in the Western Conference or the fourth or fifth seed in the Western Conference and legitimately compete with the superstar players in the league. We're in a transition between this old era, old being now LeBron James, Steph Curry, and Kevin Durant. LeBron James pretty much done because he's actually a tier removed from Kevin Durant and Steph Curry, but more specifically, Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, them being the old dudes at this point, and the current generation, which is Giannis exiting his physical prime, Joel Embiid exiting his physical prime, Nikola Jokic, as strange as it is, exiting his physical prime, Anthony Davis exiting his physical prime, and the young dudes, which are Luka Doncic, Zion Williamson, and Ja Morant, guys who are entering their physical primes, who are about to win the next five MVPs between the three of them, and a weird tweener player bridging the gap between the two, which is Jason Tatum. So you've got now four generations worth of superstars fighting for playoff positioning, and all of them play on different teams, 
all of whose teams have a legitimate chance of making it to the conference finals. And it's just such a interesting season that has now been thrown into the mix. Kevin Durant plays for the Phoenix Suns and plays with the best player who's the best non-superstar player of the current generation, which is Devin Booker. I mentioned Giannis, Jokic, Embiid, Anthony Davis. Those are the stars of their... Uh, these are the, the superstars of their generation. Anthony Davis, there's some debate to it. Anthony Davis was the best player on a championship team. When he hasn't been injured two of the last three seasons, he's been absolutely impeccable. It's just a big if on the injuries. Anthony Davis is a superstar. Devin Booker is a star in that same age group as Anthony Davis, Nikola Jokic, Joel Embiid, and Giannis. And Devin Booker kind of inhibits the, or inherits the the Damian Lillard role of this generation, which is that dude gets buckets and his teams have can only go so far with that dude just getting buckets. I think there's a lot of similarities between the career arc of Devin Booker and Damian Lillard up to this point, and it'll be so interesting to watch Devin Booker as the years go on, especially now that Devin Booker is about to play with a player never as no one ever Damian Lillard's never had a teammate like Kevin Durant. Even if Damian Lillard had gotten Anthony Davis back when the Pelicans were looking to move off Anthony Davis, that wouldn't even be the teammate that Devin Booker's about to get, which is 35-year-old Kevin Durant, or 34-year-old Kevin Durant. That's just such an interesting plot line that's also added to it. So that's kind of a macro-level point on the NBA. I just mentioned 10 players who, because those players are on their teams, and the best part of it is all of those teams have like relatively competent rosters around them. Like, you're talking about Kevin Durant and Phoenix. That's a pretty competent roster around Kevin Durant. Steph Curry and the Warriors. That's a pretty competent roster around them. It's not like they're a total tire fire, even though they just had this weird, will they get Gary Payton? Will they not get Gary Payton? Will they get five second-round picks to dump James Wiseman's contract? Even in that weird in-between phase for the Warriors... They still have a really competent roster with Jordan Poole and Clay Thompson and Andrew Wiggins that was good enough to win the championship last year. Go down the list to the current stars, Giannis and Milwaukee. We're going to talk more about them later. Philadelphia, competent roster around James Harden. Boston Celtics, championship-level roster that has only gotten better from last season. The only difference is that their players aren't playing at the same defensive level as last year, but the roster is better this year in Boston than last year. They traded all those players that weren't playing for Malcolm Brogdon. They get back Derek White. They get back a healthy Robert Williams. Grant Williams in there, who's probably on his way out the door, but is still going to be a part of this championship run. Al Horford, Tatum, Brown, Smart, like... Eight deep, they've got the deepest, most talented roster in the NBA because it's even more talented than the roster last year for Boston. Not by much. Last year's team was good enough to win the Eastern Conference. Then you go to the, uh, then you go to the uh, the the stars of that generation. Uh, Nikola Jokic, Denver has a really really interesting case because Denver. The problem with Denver used to be Michael Porter Jr. as your second best player can't get you to a championship. Without making a significant transaction, Michael Porter Jr. is now the fourth best player on the Nuggets. When Michael Porter Jr. was their second best player, Jokic had to do everything. When Michael Porter Jr. is their fourth best player, they got the best roster in the Western Conference. Because Aaron Gordon is legitimately the second best player on the team. He was acquired from Orlando with the thought that he would be your fourth best player. In terms of win shares, he's top 20 in the NBA. Aaron Gordon is the second best player on the Nuggets. Jamal Murray's their number three. Michael Porter Jr. is their number four. And with Jokic as the centerpiece of all of that, that team's the best in the Western Conference. And that's the first time we can say that with the Denver Nuggets, despite the fact they're about to have a three-time reigning MVP, is that they are legitimately the number one roster in the Western Conference. 
The Lakers and Anthony Davis thing, that's that's a whole nother conversation. I don't think they're actually in the mix for all intents and purposes here. Then you go to the baby generation. Luka, competent roster. Carried a team with Jalen. Well, Jalen Brunson carried them through the playoffs when he got hurt against Utah. But against Phoenix, Luka got him there to the conference finals at 22 years old. That was a massive overachieving season. They won their first two playoff series in 12 years there in Dallas. You know, the desperation play of Kyrie Irving. We'll see what happens with that. Memphis, really competent roster. Desmond Bain, Jaron Jackson, Jaron Jackson Jr. made the all-star team this year. Desmond Bain is one of the top two guards in the league at 22 years old. Dylan Brooks is still really good. Brandon Clark is awesome. Like, really competent roster around Ja Morant. New Orleans Pelicans, despite the fact they were fucking up real bad for like three or four years there, they've actually got a competent roster around Zion at this point. And then you've got the tweener player of, we talked about Tatum a second ago, and the one that I branched over because he doesn't really fit in a generation, which is Kawhi Leonard and Paul George out there with the Clippers. They can get to a conference finals. They can get to a conference finals. I just skipped over the tweener of Kawhi because like Kawhi on one leg three years ago wiped out Giannis, Embiid, Ben Simmons, Jimmy Butler, Kevin Durant for 11 minutes, Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, and Draymond Green in one playoff run. I skipped over the Clippers when I was talking about generations because Kawhi's the tweener between the old dudes of Steph and KD and the new guys, the current guys of Giannis, Jokic, Embiid, Anthony Davis, and now Devin Booker with the help of Durant. And the bridge between the current guys and the babies which aren't really babies anymore because they've been around for a few years. Luca, Ja, and Zion branched with Giannis, Embiid, Jokic, and Anthony Davis. The bridge between those two is Jason Tatum. And we're in a transition between the current generation exiting their prime, Giannis, Jokic, Embiid, they're exiting their primes, and Giannis, uh, Ja Morant, Luca, Zion are entering their primes. Meanwhile, Jason Tatum's the tweener between the two generations. And those 10 players that I just listed, so we're talking about Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, Kawhi, Giannis, Jokic, Embiid. We'll skip Anthony Davis for now because, again, injuries permitting, he's hurt again. Then you go to Jason Tatum, Luka, Zion, John Moran. Just listed 10 players right there, the 10 best in the NBA. Well, 10 of the 11 best. We'll get to the other guy who's in this group in a second. Those 10 players all play on different teams. And as we just went through, 9 of the 10 have competent rosters. And 9 of the 10 having competent rosters with all of them being as good as they are means we're going to have some duels in the playoffs. Because we're going to find out where each of those nine players rank because we're in a transition period, man. It's not as clear-cut as Giannis is number one, Jokic is number two, and Embiid is number three, and everyone else is trying to get their money. Man, everybody's kind of mixed together. Between Steph, KD, Giannis, Jokic, Embiid. Obviously, Giannis, Jokic, and Embiid are better than Steph and KD. Or at least Steph. Steph beat all their asses last year in the playoff. So, not going to even count those. Like, Steph still won a championship despite the fact he was, like, the fifth best player in the NBA. And the Warriors were the fifth best team going into the playoffs. They still won the championship last year. So, like, I'm not going to give... Like, the Warriors still have a great roster. But you got Steph and KD, Giannis Jokic and Bede, Luka Zion, Tatum and Kawhi bridging the gap and... Look, man, those 10, those 10 players, there's no guarantee that one of them is going to be so good that they will get them to a championship. Like, they are all top ten, they are top eight players if you take out Kawhi Leonard and you take out uh, whoever the last person you think of. If you take out those dudes, like, those are top eight teams or top eight players. And this year, being a top eight player with competence guarantees you being top eight in the league. It's why there's going to be so many awesome playoff duels like we talked about last week when we were recapping the Kevin Durant trade. It's going to be so many awesome playoff duels because mixed into the group of these 10 teams is a conference disparity. 
The Eastern Conference is very similar to the AFC or NFC this year in the NFL, which is you got three teams and then you got the rest. You got three teams at the top and everyone else slots in after the fact and there's a pretty big gap between one, two, three and everyone else. In the AFC, it was Kansas City, Buffalo, Cincinnati, and then everyone else is just fighting for the fourth spot. At the end of the day, Jacksonville ended up with the fourth spot between Miami and the Chargers and the Patriots and the Titans and whoever else you want to put in the AFC. Was there another playoff team I'm forgetting about in the AFC? I think there is, but it's not important. Who got the sixth seed in the AFC? Oh, Baltimore. Forgot about Baltimore. With a healthy Lamar, Baltimore might have changed the math there. But out of all those teams, Jacksonville was the one who fucked around and got the fourth seed. Good on Jacksonville. Then you go to the uh, NFC. It was San Francisco, Philadelphia, Dallas. Clearly the three best teams by a large margin. And the Giants, they had to send someone as the fourth team. Congratulations to the Giants. You beat the Vikings. Eastern Conference is very similar this year. It is Milwaukee, Boston, Philadelphia, everyone else. And for everyone else, you're fighting to be the Giants. If Cleveland makes it to the second round of the playoffs, that's your New York Giants moment. That's a massive success for Cleveland if you if you win a playoff series. If you're the New York Knicks and you win a playoff series, massive, massive success. Even the Brooklyn Nets who just traded Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant, if they make it to the second round of the playoffs, massive success this season. And by the way, I think they can do it. I think the Nets, as presently constructed, can beat the Cavs in a seven-game series. The other team I'm forgetting here is Miami. If Miami makes it to the second round of the playoff based on where they were a month ago and based on everything that's happening with Kyle Lowry and Jimmy Butler, Miami, it would be a massive success if they made the second round of the playoffs and then got smoked by the Boston Celtics. It would be a massive success for any of those teams to make it to the second round of the playoffs. Cleveland, Brooklyn, Miami, New York, if any of you make it to the second round of the playoffs by beating each other, it will be like Giants-Vikings, where it's not going to mean a whole lot in the grand scheme of things, and at the same time, it's going to mean a whole lot to your team. And by the way, this is the same way the Eastern Conference has been since the pandemic. In the 2021 season, there were three teams, Milwaukee, Brooklyn, Philadelphia, Now, Philadelphia had a one in a thousand collapse against the Hawks where they blew 27 and 25 point leads in various games. I believe one was game four and one was game seven where they where they blew multiple 25 point leads in the series and Ben Simmons refused to dunk a ball on Trey Young. But the whole year was Philadelphia, Milwaukee and Brooklyn. And then last year, it was Milwaukee and Boston and uh, Miami. So you slid out Brooklyn and you slid out uh, Philadelphia. And in their places, you brought the Celtics who had retooled their roster and gotten healthy. And you slid in the Miami Heat, who after their finals run of 2021 had a giant injury plague season in 2021, got healthy and got the number one seed and came within one Jimmy Butler shot of making it to the NBA finals. And if they had made the finals, they would have gotten swept by the Warriors. And this year it's Boston, Milwaukee, and Philadelphia. And the thing that's so interesting is that across the three years, it's been three teams that dominate the Eastern Conference and the team that loses in the second round is going to feel disappointed. Of the three teams that have dominated each of the last three years, the only team that's been at the top every single year is Milwaukee. And Milwaukee's a team that I feel like we haven't talked enough about because the value of having Giannis Antetokounmpo, two-time MVP, the best player of his generation, and just giving him competence, like it's uh, it's understated just how important giving a star player in the NBA competence is. Because when you gave... LeBron James competence, you were in the finals every year. When you gave Steph Curry competence, you were in the NBA finals every single year. 
2015 and 2016 with MVP Steph Curry. Then they gave him the super roster of Durant. But even when Durant went out in 2019, remember, it was the second round of the playoffs, he got hurt with the Achilles injury and never came back. Even without Durant, they won against the Rockets in six games, swept Portland in the conference finals. Like, they, with just competence, they got Steph Curry to an NBA Finals every year. And then they did it again in 2022 with a healthy Steph Curry and a healthy Klay Thompson and a healthy Jordan Poole. They they got to the Finals again. You just give these star, these superstar players competence and they will get to the Finals. Giannis has been a top three player in the NBA for four years. At times, he's been the best player in the NBA. I'm not sure he's the best player in the NBA right now, but he's clearly a top three player in the NBA. For the past four seasons, you give Giannis a competent roster around a top three player, you're going to have a top three finish. And that's what Milwaukee did. 2019, yes, they got beat by Kawhi. In Giannis' first season as an MVP, they were a top three team in the sport. They made it to the final three because Portland got swept out. The final three teams were Toronto, Milwaukee, and Golden State. Top three player in the league, gave him competence, finished in the top three. The following year was the bubble year where Giannis gets hurt against Miami. If he doesn't get hurt, I think they win that series despite the fact they were down 0-2 when Giannis got hurt. We can throw out the bubble year because Giannis gets hurt, but if you want to go beyond that, if they make it to the conference finals, top three, whatever. 2021, best player in the league, give him competence, win an NBA championship. Even if you thought Giannis was a top three player in 2021 because Jokic won the MVP, Embiid finished second, Giannis finished third. Give a top three player in the league competence, you'll make it to the final three. And in that year, they've won the NBA championship because Philadelphia choked. But they won the NBA championship. 2022, you give Giannis competence, you're going to finish in the top three. And what happened that year was with Chris Middleton out the entire series, his second best player out the entire series, Giannis was up three games to two against the Boston Celtics, the best defense in the NBA by himself. Giannis put up the most points in any seven-game series ever and lost. You give a top three player competence, they will. you will be a top three team. Milwaukee has understood the assignment. They haven't gone above and beyond to give him a mega-talented roster. They haven't been able to get one of those top ten superstars to want to come play with Giannis. Besides the point, the value of giving a top three player competence every single year should not be understated. Because if the Nuggets had given Nikola Jokic competence the last three years, they might have been in the NBA Finals in 2021. Injuries permitting on that one, because they were in the conference finals in the bubble. But if you give Jokic competence, you see what the Nuggets are this year. They're the best team in the Western Conference. And that includes the Kevin Durant Suns. They're the best team in the Western Conference, with competence around Jokic. And Milwaukee, for the past three years, has been, without question, the best team in the Eastern Conference. You just give Giannis competence, and you're going to be there. And I think that's a totally understated part of this, as the Bucks have won 10 consecutive games since they moved Chris Middleton to a bench role and have mixed up their offensive rotations. And Giannis is averaging more points than ever before because that's what's required of him this season, just like it was required when Middleton got hurt in the playoffs last year. It's going to be interesting to see what they do with Middleton after this season, but for the time being, as long as they have that competence around Giannis, I think they're the best team in the Eastern Conference. Certainly, they're a top. if Giannis is still a top three player, which I'm pretty sure he is, if he's a top three player, you're going to be a top three team at the end, which means conference finals for Milwaukee. So now you get to the Western Conference. Because like I said, the Eastern Conference is Milwaukee, Boston, Chicago, uh, Philadelphia. Those 10 players that I listed out, seven of them play in the Western Conference. Three of them play in the Eastern Conference. And it makes for a gauntlet in the Western Conference. Because remember all those babies that I mentioned earlier who are no longer babies because they're entering their physical primes? Luka, Jaw, and Zion? 
all of them in the Western Conference. Then you look at the current generation. You've got Jokic, who's on his way to a third MVP and finally has a competent roster. They're the best team in the West by far. Then you go to the transition guy, Kawhi. The Clippers are going to be a top five seed in the West. Then you go to the old guys, quote-unquote, Steph Curry, Kevin Durant. Durant's now on the Phoenix Suns. Curry's on the Warriors. That's six teams right there. I mentioned Kawhi and Paul George. That makes seven. And then throwing a wrench into the entire thing is the Sacramento Kings. Because the Sacramento Kings don't have a generational superstar. Sacramento Kings don't have one of the 10 best players in the NBA. They've got one of the 15 best players in the NBA, in Demodis Sabonis. They don't have one of the 10 best players that we're talking about here. They don't have a generational superstar. They have an all-star. A pretty good all-star. They've got their Devin Booker. I know they do totally different things. I'm just talking about in terms of tier levels. They've got a tier 3 star. They've got a fringe all-star. And they've got good vibes. And good vibes are carrying the day for Sacramento. Because they don't have, like I said, they don't have a top 10 player. They don't have a generational superstar. They're better than a lot of teams that do have a generational superstar. Because they've got good vibes. And God, it's so awesome that I get to root for the good vibes team. Are you kidding me? I get to root for the good vibes basketball team for the rest of the season. Oh. I get to be in Sacramento covering the team for them breaking the longest playoff drought in NBA history. Oh, magnificent vibes. Just magnificent vibes. Because they don't, like I said, every all of the 10 superstars have competence. All of them have competence. Even Dallas, who's the least competent of the 10, they've still got at least a base level of competence. Desperation by getting Kyrie? Absolutely. Still a 50-win team, even if they didn't have Kyrie? Yeah, that's just a testament to how fucking good Luka Doncic is. All 10 superstars have competence. Half of them are not better than the Sacramento Kings. Because the Sacramento Kings are living off a top 15 player and good vibes. Just a tier 3 star like Rudy Gobert and good vibes. Does that mean they're going to flame out in the playoffs like the Utah Jazz? Probably. (laughs) They're probably going to lose in the first round. You know what the good news is? No expectations. None. No expectations for the Kings. Just playing a home playoff game in Sacramento where we get to light the beam. Oh my God, it's excellent. So excellent. They're probably going to lose in the first round of the playoffs. There's no way this is sustainable. Just good vibes is carrying the Sacramento Kings. And I'm just so happy that I get to cover the good vibes team all the way through the playoffs. There's one other story that storyline that I think is noteworthy in the NBA this season. And that is... I mentioned the 10 superstars and Jimmy Butler's right on the fringe. Donovan Mitchell's a tier three star. The tier three stars are this. After the 10 superstars, here's the next group of star players. Just off the top of my head. Paul George, LeBron, who's kind of just in his own category at this point, so we'll set him aside for now. Paul George, Jimmy Butler, Donovan Mitchell, Devin Booker, Demodis Sabonis. I apologize if I'm missing someone in that tier three group. It's about all I can think of as of right now. There's one player who is above and beyond this group of superstars. Oh, Damian Lillard. Sorry, forgot about you, Dame. Don't mean to disrespect Dame Dalla at all. There's one player who I think really, really quietly is having one of the most impressive seasons ever. And if he had been surrounded with competence, I think we might have to make room for an 11th superstar. 
Shai Gilgis Alexander. I know saying Shai Gilgis Alexander is a superstar is kind of ridiculous. He is playing like a superstar. Oklahoma City is the 10 seed. The reason that's the case is because remember I said all of these players need to be surrounded by competence? Shai Gilgis Alexander has taken what I'm not going to cap is the worst roster in the NBA. It might be the fourth worst roster because Houston's kind of bad. Detroit's playing without Cade Cunningham. He's taking one of the worst rosters in the NBA and making them a play-in team. And that is as impressive as Jokic taking the Denver Nuggets to a sixth seed last year. Because I mentioned those 10 superstars and the, the five tier three stars. Here are the players who have a, who Shai Gilgis Alexander has a better efficiency rating than. And for those who don't know, efficiency rating is the statistic that most correlates with eye test. 17 of the last 20 NBA MVPs have led the league in efficiency rating. Second place finish, Joel Embiid, has been second in efficiency rating each of the last two seasons. It is the, it is the statistic that best correlates with the eye test and is the one that I use every year to evaluate MVP rankings. The MVP rankings should be pretty closely reflecting the player efficiency rating statistics. Of those 15 players I just mentioned earlier, which are the 10 superstars whose teams we went through, plus the five tier three guys, here are the players Shai Gilgis-Alexander has a better efficiency rating than. Donovan Mitchell, Domatis Sabonis, Damian Lillard, Jimmy Butler, Devin Booker. All of the tier three stars. Now we go into the superstars. Here's who Shai Gilgis Alexander has had a better season than while playing more games than every player on this list. Zion Williamson, Steph Curry, John Morant, Jason Tatum, Kawhi Leonard, Kevin Durant. All of those players have had a worse efficiency rating than Shai Gilgis Alexander. Shai Gilgis Alexander has been better this season based on the eye test, because I know we ain't watching no Oklahoma City basketball, based on the statistic most correlated with the eye test that most reflects value in the NBA. Shai Gilgis-Alexander has been more valuable this season playing more games than Jason Tatum, Kawhi Leonard, Steph Curry, Zion Williamson, Kevin Durant. All of those players, he's been better than. There's only five players in the entire sport with a better efficiency rating than Shai Gilgis-Alexander. And by the way, that number's about to be four whenever Anthony Davis comes back from injury. Nikola Jokic, Joel Embiid, Luka Doncic, Giannis Antetokounmpo. Those are the only players who have been better this year than Shai Gilgis-Alexander. With a tanking roster... Shai Gilgis-Alexander has made them a play-in team. He is legitimately one of the seven most valuable players in the NBA this year. I'm going to need a larger sample size and competence to see if Shai Gilgis-Alexander can develop into something more because there are case examples similar to him in past seasons. Last year, Trey Young finished sixth in the efficiency rating statistic. In 2021, Robert Williams finished ninth in the efficiency rating statistic. There are statistical anomalies, no question. And Shai Gilgis-Alexander is going to have to play more basketball in order to validate that he is, in fact, one of the top 10 players in the sport. Shai Gilgis-Alexander finds himself in an interesting position where 
He's about to get Chet Holmgren back. Oklahoma City has the potential to put NBA-ready players around him. And Oklahoma City just might have the possibility of jumping into contention next season. That'll be something to follow, because we're going to need larger than a one-year sample size to validate him being a superstar. And Oklahoma City might not be playing for very much coming down to the end of the season. So, Shai Gilgis Alexander, you have been a legitimate superstar-level player this season. And that's pretty incredible, because not enough people are talking about how awesome your season has been. That's the last noteworthy point, other than the 12 teams with which we went through. In our recap of what has happened in the NBA this season, I'm so, so excited to watch the playoffs this year in the NBA. It's going to be really fun to watch. Thanks for stopping in, everybody. This was a long podcast. I usually don't do over an hour when it's just me talking by myself. There's just so many interesting points with which I wanted to break down here with all of you. So in the meantime, leave a five-star review, a download, all that good stuff, and we will take it easy and talk to you again tomorrow.